a Podcast One production. Created for expectant parents, new mums, new grandparents, or women thinking about becoming pregnant. This series guides you through the highs and lows of pregnancy, giving birth, and the complexities of parenting. Welcome to Birth, Baby and Beyond with midwife Kath Curtin. Midwife Kath, today we are going to embark on a conversation about pregnancy generally, about how our bodies change, what we can expect, and then some of the pitfalls, I suppose, of being pregnant. Yeah, exactly. And some of the things that uh, I suppose we don't talk about, really, as women, believe it or not, we um, being pregnant, we talk about lots of things, but there are some things we don't talk about. Um Pregnancy, once you become pregnant or find out you're pregnant, it's just you're so excited and and elated. And there's a couple of weeks until that nausea kicks in and that's when, you know, the reality check sort of goes... Oh, you know, this is pregnancy. This is really hard. Yeah. Um, but the 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 first few weeks when you can't believe you're pregnant and you're not drinking and you're only you're having soda water in a, <laughs> a in a champagne glass, um, and everyone knows, mm. like, yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest giveaway. Um, you better have one champagne. In a like have champagne in a glass and not drink it, and then you know just tip it out here and there. That, that, that's <laughs> my trick. It. Yeah, that's right. Spill it, not not in your mouth. Um, but uh, pregnancy causes a lot of anxiety for a lot of women because it's a lot of people have wanted it for a long time. Not a lot of women want to get pregnant. Um, it may have been a pregnancy that has started too early for them. Uh, as a, a couple, some women um, parent by themselves and find out they're pregnant and um, they they continue with the pregnancy by themselves. So it's those circumstances that make you anxious along with, is it also not realising all these physical changes? Do, are we aware of that enough, do you think? Well, I think that I, I believe parenting starts then. You know, you start to worry uh, straight away about the baby and what you're doing and what you're eating. And, and these days, that's when Google gets in the way mm. and women just go out of control Googling. And, you know, it's, you know, Google really good sites. That's fine. Um, um, that uh, medical sites are good to look at. Not forums, um, not Facebook forums, not closed forums, because you've just got anxious women talking to anxious women. Yeah. And, you know, then by the time they come and see the obstetrician or they see the midwife, they're so strung up about what's going on that, and, and they've, they've talked themselves into terrible things happening to them. So it's about trusting your body. Our body is very clever and things will declare. Like if something is going wrong, it will declare it. And that is you will have severe pain or you'll have a lot of bleeding and or both. Mm. So well, we've got a great guest coming up later yeah. um, in this episode, Dr. Sue Hiscock, and you're going to go into detail with yeah. her about that. I suppose given the line of work that you're both in, um, anxious women presenting themselves to you is a common... Yes, it is. Um a lot of women have uh, anxiety and or depression before they come into the pregnancy. Um, pregnancy then exacerbates that a lot. Mm. Um, so if you're an anxious person anyway and then you've got 
the the fear of pregnancy, which a lot of people fear it rather than thinking how exciting it is. Mm. We have an excitement, then we're fearful. Then we have an excitement, then we're fearful. Um, you see the doctor, you see a heart rate, and you think, oh, great. And then two days later, you think, oh, my God, I haven't felt anything. My boobs aren't sore. I don't feel sick. What's wrong with me? And yeah. so the internal talk is 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 constant. Pretty, it's constant and that chatter that goes on inside our head is, is, is hard. We don't talk to each other a lot. Women tend to keep it a secret in the early days of pregnancy. Personally, I think tell tell people who are close to you, your family, some good friends, because if for some reason something goes wrong with a pregnancy, you've got people to support you and it's really important to have that support. And we don't talk about those, those you know, the no. times when we, we miscarry, the times when things go wrong. That's we feel right. like it's a real failure. Yeah, yeah. And um, we also feel like we have to do everything perfectly and we have to have a perfect pregnancy. Is we that, have to, we is have that Disney? You know, yeah, yeah, I, it is a bit. Is disease, it kind of like oh, this is how pregnancy rolls? Is yep. Talking to you though over over this series, it has just been an absolute an enlightenment because nothing goes according to plan. What we expect actually isn't real, and so you know, pregnancy is actually something very different from what some. Well, people you don't might. even know what's going to happen during your day. So you don't know. So we, we don't know what's going to happen during the day. We could have someone come into labour. You could have um, someone come in having twins. You could have someone having um, a miscarriage. You can have someone ha- have a stillborn, you know, and, and, and so... And we don't talk we about We don't it. know. We don't know what's mm. going to happen. So, but we, yeah, we, need, we need to talk more. We need to be open with each other and have that support because um, women can be hard on each other believe it or not. We also believe that everything has to be perfect. So we have to have the perfect pregnancy. We have to look good. We have to have the perfect everything. We have to come into spontaneous labour. We get fearful if we have to be induced or, or failure if we have a Caesar or failure if we don't breastfeed well or failure if we give the baby formula. Girls, it's about relaxing and just we want to be happy. And happy and to have a health, healthy health, yeah. healthy baby. That's, yeah. that's been your mantra basically through this series. Exactly. Kath, what are some of the pitfalls in terms of our bodies changing? What are the things we don't talk about? Look, we don't talk about um, we have quite an increased vaginal discharge during pregnancy. And um, again, some women don't want to talk to their obstetrician. If their obstetricians are male, they feel a bit, you know, sort of um, embarrassed, but they will talk to, um, you know, other girls or maybe even as a midwife, a lot of women will talk to me and say, oh, I get a lot of discharge. Is that normal? Mm. And you go, absolutely. To the point where some women have to wear a pad. Um, and have that um, and change it because they're discharged. And it's just it's just a normal part of pregnancy. And some women even leak colostrum during their pregnancy and they, they worry about that, whereas it's, it's a great sign. It means you're going to have a lot of milk. How, how much are we talking leakage? Well, some women might have some little spots on their on their on their bras, or like a wet patch. Yeah. Um, others may just have some um, yellow, crusty um, dryness of of the milk that's of the colostrum that's come out. Okay. The other thing is some um, sex during pregnancy. Um, some women are fearful, but really, some men are worried that they're going to hurt the baby. Hello. I thought that was just a wise Hello. tale. Hello, sailor. Uh, okay. <laughs> Can you? Can you? No. Okay. Are you sure? And I'm sure. Okay. And it's sex is great during pregnancy. And, you know, you've got hormones. A lot of women feel really wonderful during pregnancy. And, and pregnancy is a really 
a healthy time to have sex. Also, um, there may be times when the doctor may say to abstain from sex during pregnancy. Why would that be? That would be if there's any, you know, a past history of, uh, of miscarriage, um, if there's been any obstetric complications, if the cervix has shortened um, and or if there's been any bleeding. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there will be times when th- the doctor will say, actually, you need to abstain from sex. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, it's really safe and... And no one's going to hurt anyone. Okay, guys? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Go it's, for gold. It's really fun. Capitalise on the moment. It's the best time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also you get things like um, your body naturally gains um, fluid, okay, uh-huh. to to compensate with, with a pregnancy. So it makes extra fluid. Cankles. So you might get that and you might have a bit of a puffy face and you gain weight. Mm. You can't not gain weight during pregnancy because you're making a baby. Mm. Um, so it's really important not to diet. Um, if you have diabetes in pregnancy, which we'll talk about later, it's about watching what you eat and and that is eating a... A, a, a balanced, a, healthy. A, a healthy, healthy diet rather than, um, you know, sort of abstaining from food because... Um, we don't want a lo- low birth weight baby. We want a healthy baby and a healthy mother. Mm. Very important. Um, also, the just the emotions of pregnancy. And I think that, again, not only physically being well, but emotionally being well. If you find there are things that are making you really get too anxious, you may be having panic attacks. You may be feeling your heart, heart beating really fast, especially when you hop into bed at night. Some women find that they faint. They get really, you know, hot and fainty in, um, in a closed environment. Talk to someone. There's there's a lot of counsellors or psychologists around, and, and it, during the podcast we'll be talking to a psychologist about anxiety. Anxiety in pregnancy is hand in hand, and a lot of the time things come up in your life that have been sitting dormant for a little while. Yeah. Oh, all those hormones. Is, is that what you're No, just, just, just issues. Just, just come, things comes up. Just comes up. And so, you know, you, you, you're, just, you're just feeling a bit different and you're, you're vulnerable and, um, and the responsibility of, of, of carrying a baby, it's all fantastic. It's just you feel um, can be great, but it can be confronting. Immense. Yeah. Yeah. Also how your partner, um, you know, manages and copes with um, a pregnancy. Most partners are just absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, some partners don't enjoy that you have to go to bed early and that your social life comes to a bit of an <laughs> abrupt stop and, you know, you're vomiting, you can't drink and you can't do things like that. So it does change your relationship. But again, it's it's how your relationship changes to start a family, yeah. which is great. So all these things, the anxiety, the puffiness, the, you know, increased vaginal discharge, which sounds so <laughs> pleasant, by the way, you know, um, leaking colostrum from your boobs. Or yep. it just It's natural. Yep. Relax. You're yep. not a failure. Enjoy. You're not a failure. No. So I thought to explore some more um, about pregnancy. I have an obstetrician and gynecologist in with me today, Dr. Sue Hiscock, and we're going to talk about um, nausea, miscarriage, bleeding in pregnancy and diabetes in pregnancy. So um, welcome, Dr. Sue. Thank you. So, um, you know, talking about pregnancy to start with, a lot of women don't really understand why they get sick. And why some women don't get sick, they they think, A, it's going to 
lasts for a short time in the morning and then go. So what's the real reason behind nausea, nausea. in pregnancy? Um, the I think it's to do with the hormones and they're different with different women. I think there's a genetic link. Mm. You'll find some women that were really sick in pregnancy, their mothers are sick as well. Um, and that there's a bit of a myth that they call it morning sickness because it'll be in the morning and it'll only last a few weeks and everything will be fine. Mm. I... I jokingly say that that um, the glow of pregnancy is that five minutes after you find out you've, you're uh, pregnant before your first vomit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, it is. So it's a very short time. Um, some women are lucky. They don't get sick. Yeah. Um, generally, by about 12 weeks, most people are okay as long as they're not tired. Uh, a few unlucky people are sick all the way through their pregnancies. They like tend, our dear Princess Kate. Yeah, they tend not to have too many children. Yes. Um, well, uh, only if they can go to the palace and have IV therapy that would yes, be that, that would be, be nice. good yeah that'd be special <laughs> um but it's it's a struggle because everyone's congratulating them on being on um, being pregnant and they they just want to curl up in a corner yeah and um, it's a real it's a it, it's just a nausea that doesn't go away day night day night and when you have that nausea in pregnancy it's 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 quite debilitating because mm. you haven't told people that you're pregnant and you need to keep working and you can't just stay home because you know you feel sick um but for some women they do vomit too don't they Sue? yes yes, yes. um it it's, seems to be worse if they're tired yeah. um and if they've got an empty stomach so they've got yeah. to figure out how to eat something before they get out of bed yep. um usually i say to people the sorts of f- foods and drinks they would have had when they had a hangover That's right. are perfect. Yeah. Things like hot chips. <laughs> and um, Coca-Cola and hamburger. Coca-Cola and hamburger is <laughs> the drive through at yes. Macca's and, yeah. The, yeah. you know, all of that. For some, some weird reason, Coca-Cola works, works yeah. really well. Yeah, it does. I can remember a patient had um, just craved cheeseburgers and it was, it was the only thing that made her feel better. Yeah. But sometimes it's actually... You need some food and some fluid to keep your fluid balanced so yes. that you're actually weighing. Because yes. if you're not weighing and then you get dehydrated, you feel worse, worse, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think crushed ice is pretty good. Yeah. And Slurpees. Slurpees are the bomb, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, they're really good because it, it, it's fluid and especially over summer. Mm. And if, if you're not, if you're really sick and you're not, and you're vomiting, plus you're not keeping your fluid intake up, if you don't, if you feel um, really dehydrated, sometimes it's best to go to an emergency department yes. and just have some, a couple of litres of fluid yep. and then you feel amazing, don't yes, you? You get absolutely. your fluid balance what, back. What about, sorry, what about things like Barocca or things like with electricity? Electrolytes. Is that something they should avoid? Or? Um, yeah, no. no. Just get a slurpee with... Cheeseburger. Just cheeseburger. Cheeseburger and yeah. sugar. Coca-Cola. Yeah. 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 Great. The important stuff. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Um, Be- because sometimes those things actually dehydrate you more. Yeah. Especially, you know, the, the, the sport drinks and they're yeah, the, too high in the Yeah, they're too high. You'd, the only way you do it, I've, I've heard a great um, recipe, you put a teaspoon or a tablespoon of sugar in things like lemonade or the hydrolyte and it fizzes it up and flattens it and then you dilute it so that um, you can actually sip that or pour it into an ice cube tray and suck the ice cubes of that. That yeah. works okay. Yeah, or half Coca-Cola, half um, water, mm. or half lemonade, half water. So you've got the the electrolytes and you've got the fluid too because you just don't want to have electrolytes because then you're going to get 
Really Sicker. dehydrated and sicker, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, good. So dilute. So um, that, the worst case scenario, it lasts right through pregnancy, which yes. is a, a real drag. Um, so best case scenario, about 12 to 16 weeks, isn't it? Usually Tends about, to go. yeah, usually about 12 weeks. When I see them for the, after their 12-week ultrasound, usually they say, so, I'm okay if I'm not tired. But you're right, it's a fine line between mm. tiredness and nausea. Yep. And ladies... Social life gone, G O R N, gone for about twenty five years, and then, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, then you, you get back into because then you've got to drive your kids, kids around, around to sport and in your pajamas. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so once you, if you go to bed early, you actually can manage the day better, to the next day yep. better. Yep. So it's you know the even though the the fun of um, pregnancy, as you said, lasts about two minutes, and then afterwards it's like, oh, I go to bed. I mean, my pajamas all day and night. Yep. So when yeah. when do you know you've actually got a problem? So you're sitting at home and you, you're, you're nauseous and you think it'll pass in a couple of days. It'll pass in a couple of days. Is there at some point that you get to that you think I've actually got to go? And well, it doesn't go. A- last a couple of days. Mm. Also these days, we do have some medication, Sue, don't oh, we? Lots of medications you can take. Um, there's uh, things, first of all, the simple things like getting to sleep um, so that you sleep well enough. There's snacking, and we talk about the hangover snacks. Yep. Uh, they work well, so every sort of few hours. Um, to forget, someone was trying to get better on celery. You know, no, celery no. and carrot no, sticks. No, 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 no. Uh, no. They're for carrots. They're for, they're for bunnies. <laughs> Sorry, they're for the bunnies. Um, there is... Uh, Maxalon, which is a very good, these are all uh, category A medications safe in pregnancy. Uh, you can have one of those three times a day. Uh, there is a medication called Restivit, which if you have a tiny dose of it at night, uh, gives you, makes you sleep a bit better. If you sleep a bit better, you work a bit better. Anything with ginger. The vitamin B6, you can have up to 200 milligrams of that a day. You can just buy that in the health food shop, um, and that's got some very good anti-nausea properties. Anything with ginger in it, mm. you know, fresh ginger, ginger yep. tea, yep. ginger beer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can keep it down. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, it's all good stuff um, to try. There are uh, there are other medications uh, that are when probably best prescribed by a doctor looking after someone um, who's really sick, things like um, Ondansetron or Zofran, which mm. is a, a strong anti-nausea medication uh, and is also prednisolone. Yeah. You've sometimes given that, that under, if it's really, really bad. bad. Yeah. And, and then somebody would be on prednisolone for, you know, weeks to, um, weeks to um, months. Uh, and those those things usually are okay. And you can set it up with it that people go to the... Um, to the local uh, hospital or um, emergency, emergency department. department and they can have a drip put in, get a couple of litres of fluids with some anti-nausea stuff in it. And, you know, you have some of my patients would, would go into the hospital three times a week, have two litres of fluid and that keeps them going. They feel fine. Mm. Once you're hydrated, you feel better. Oh, so much better. And really, um, it's a, we talk a lot of, on this podcast about fantasy and reality. So fantasy is I'm never going to have anything during my pregnancy, anything that, any drug, nothing other than carrots and, and, and carrots celery. And celery. Sticks. Um, the reality is when you're that sick, you actually, it, you, you do need to have something. Now, mm. even when I was pregnant 24 years ago, we, it wasn't safe enough. We didn't, they didn't think to have uh, Maxalon. So we just got through it. Um, but, but now it is, and the research has been done so Trust your um, your medical person, um, doctor, but go to the same person and have the, the have the right drug um, prescribed. Not and don't use anyone else's medication. That's yes. really important. Ha- go to your doctor who you're seeing, um, and it does go. 
It does go. It might go when you're pushing a baby up, but it does go. So... With early pregnancy, we've got the joys of pregnancy, but we also have the traumas of pregnancy. And, and one of the saddest things is when someone has a miscarriage. Mm. And um, so when would be the, you know, when do people, when should they start to feel safe, Sue? When, when's that time in early pregnancy? Um, c- certainly the... Uh official teaching is that if you have your 12-week ultrasound and you know the baby's grown and you've you've if you've done your screening and you're at low risk of downs then I would be fairly yeah. confident yes there was an interesting um, study reported a few years ago that found that if you went to your doctor and had a dating scan at seven eight weeks and it matched your dates and you hadn't had any bleeding your chance of miscarriage was only 1.4 percent that's very interesting mm. and it's also about not as though a lot of patients don't say this but but you would say it is the sac around the baby. If that's if that starts to deflate, it actually that's a worry. That's a big worry, isn't yeah. it? And, um, the, and the change of dates or early. Uh, it, the worst thing is if you the the mother's sure of her dates and she does a scan and the and it's much less than you think. Yep. That's a worry. I would want to have another scan a week later yes. to make sure that things were fine because there are women that don't get their dates right. No, exactly. And, that's... and um, so so how often do women miscarry? What are the stats? The stats are between 28 and 40% of people miscarry. Right. Um, they're probably about 10% of them, they have what's called a biochemical pregnancy. They're, they're not even sure they're pregnant. Right. They, um, you know, they're a bit late and then they have a heavier period than normal and they will probably pregnant. Yeah. Um, and so they're generally about 28, 33% know they're pregnant and then they miscarry. Yeah. And the reason for miscarrying? 93% is it was going to be genetic abnormality. Yeah. And that's usually a chromosomal thing, yeah. which is where, one of the chromosomes, as part of the process of making the baby, the chromosomes, uh, there's two pairs, one splits, and then they have to find their mate and mate. And if they're confused, I, I call it bad barn dancing, um, <laughs> and one ends up in the wrong place, and it's just random, Yeah. Um, then they, but the baby cannot survive with an abnormal chromosome count. And so they usually either bleed before they get their first dating scan or they um, they get their first scan and it's less than they expect. Yeah. And often when women in their early pregnancy, sometimes they don't even bleed. And that's really yes. disappointing, isn't it? They come in really excited for their first that's visit awful. and they come in and it's so deflating because the obstetrician looks and they can't find a heartbeat and they have to break the news, say, I'm sorry, there isn't a pre- the pregnancy is, uh, has finished. And, and what's worse is they still feel sick. They still feel sick, exactly. And that's awful. That is, Absolutely yeah, awful. exactly. That's... When women have some bleeding and, and um, when as women we associate bleeding with periods and, you know, and mm-hmm. pain with periods. And, so often women in early pregnancy, and I've seen women, and you would have too, bleed right through their pregnancy. Yes. But there are some women who bleed um, in early pregnancy, and it and it does go to a miscarriage. Some bleed, and it doesn't actually mean a miscarriage, yeah. does it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think something like 50% of pregnancies will have a bleed at some point. Yeah. And it can be just after sex that you have yep. a bit of bleeding. It can be for no other reason that... Exercise. I've seen exercising, it exercising. Yep, over-exercising. Yep. So how do you know when to, when to worry or not? Oh, well, you always worry. Sorry, women always never, worry. never stop worrying. No, yeah, it's part of the part of the job description of being a mother. <laughs> so, yeah. So what's the protocol? Then? So the thing yeah. is, if there's any bleeding, always contact. I think they should they should make sure they um, see their doctor or go to hospital promptly. 
I suspect overnight is possibly not the best time unless they're bleeding really heavily, heavily and they're yeah. really worried because what tends to happen in emergencies is they don't have ultrasounds and, until the morning. So someone goes in, they do a blood test to confirm they're pregnant. Well, they know they're pregnant. They're still pregnant, um, yep. And then they tell them to come back at 8.30 in the morning. So I'd say go, go you know... 8, 8.30 in the morning, go to a hospital or ring your obstetrician. Um, they can see you pretty promptly. You organise an ultrasound and make sure things are fine. 28 to 40% of pregnancies and, yeah. and, or, you know... Well, miscarrying. Miscarrying. Yeah. Do we talk about it enough? No, it doesn't. Not no enough. one. No one talks about it. No. You talk to the um, you talk to the older women in the um, in the your workplace, and those women, if you really talk to them, will tell you about their miscarriages, but it's a, a, a private grief because women are supposed to just get over it. Yeah, uh, and so. It, hundred years ago, when women had lots of babies, they would have miscarried a lot. A lot. Yes. And it was part of, and in many cases, it was probably good because there's one less mouth to feed. But it's still yeah. a grief, and and so women won't talk about it. I, and for both, for for men too. It's but a, men grieve differently. Oh, I absolutely. Um, but I, still, they do grieve. I absolutely totally yeah. grieve. But they're different. I think yep. they're different. I think men will go into their cave for two weeks. They'll be really, really upset, and then they'll work it out, and they'll get over it, and they'll come back and go, "Yep, I'm." I'm okay now. Let's have sex. Let's, mo- let's move on. Yep. Whereas women are more, we're our own worst enemies. We think about, you know, the, this is going to be a baby. Will it be a boy or a girl? Um, what's it going to look like? What school are they going to go? Yeah. We're going to have to renovate the house. Yeah. And, and so they married. have this yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. They've got yep. this life sort of. And then when, the, when they find the baby's not going to make it, it's whole life they're grieving, not just the baby. Yeah. And so they gr- can grieve for a lot longer. And the two, you know, the part of the couple don't get each other's. Yep forms of grieving. Yeah, um, that's and very that's, true. With, with that amount or those high statistics, so what should you be doing? You're talking to your girlfriends, do you? Oh, it's a hard thing um, to broach, beca- isn't it? It is because you have to confess that something awful's happened to you and women blame themselves. They, they you know, they, they sit there and go, what did I do wrong? Okay. I had one woman say she she cleaned the window. Would, would that be a problem? Would that have done like, No. Yeah. Also, I think... Um, this whole secrecy around I'm pregnant, mm. like I'm not going to have a glass of wine. Like tell people. I always say tell everyone because if the worst case scenario does happen, you've got a lot of support. And I'd, I'd rather have women have that support. The other thing I say to women... That's interesting, Kath, because, you know, the, the traditional thing is you just don't tell anyone until 12 weeks. I think that's an issue with work. I think the problem with people, women who have got a a responsible position and they're anxious about telling work until after they know everything's fine. And so there's a certain amount of let's not, you know, tell too many people until we know the baby, it's okay. Especially if women's had a miscarriage, they won't tell people until they're 16 weeks. And um, in a lot of cases, women need to actually have a curette. Mm. So if the baby hasn't come away completely... Um, they have a curette, which is like a cleaning out of the the uterus. And um, so what happens in that situation and what I explain to women is that women physically recover very quickly from a miscarriage, but emotionally they don't. They don't, yeah. And so they feel fine, they look fine, their, their body gets back to normal because it just wants to have another period and get on with things, but emotionally they're so sad. And then the next pregnancy, it, it's terrified. not the same pregnancy. It's no. an, And that's why I often explain, you've got a new baby, a new pregnancy, new sperm, new egg. Doesn't matter, they're still terrified. It's so terrified, aren't they? Um, and I, women like that, I see them every week. And it's pathological fear, isn't yep. it? 
anxiety. And yeah. Anxiety. They, they, I see them every week yes. and I scan them every yes. week until they can feel the baby yes. move. Yes, yeah. Until they're to, 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 to show that they've got the heartbeat there. Yep. Yeah. And to yep. make sure the baby's growing. They yep. still don't lose their, comp, their anxiety, but they feel better. Yeah. So scans in pregnancy, you know, obviously, you know, these days we can we can find a lot. So yep. in pregnancy, the twelve week scan, what what will we be looking for? And do you go to do you send your clients to a, um, a specialist? Yes, um, and yep. so the better. Basically, what we're doing at twelve weeks is we're doing a couple of things. We're confirming the baby's growing, mm-hmm. um, and roughly, roughly matching their dates. We. If you're screening for Down syndrome, we check the fat pad at the back of the baby's neck, which is called the nuchal translucency. Um, And if it's a certain size, it means that the baby's at low risk of having Downs. If it's big, it can be at risk of Downs. It can also be a risk of things like infections or cardiac um, issues. So there's lots, lots more that you get rather than just the down screening. And you're and not just looking looks, for a heartbeat. The no, doctor's looking, looking for, for a lot of arms things. Arms and legs, arms and legs, lots of heart, everything. Yes. the shape of the head, uh, all of Nose, those things. everything, yep. Um, they, they do a much better scan at 20 weeks when they can. the baby's big enough to see it in detail. But at 12 weeks, you can sit there and say, the baby's growing, it looks normal as far as we can tell, and, and then we can calculate the risk of downs if you want to know that. And now we're doing um, genetic screening through a blood test yes. at um, uh, 10, 10 weeks. weeks, over 10 weeks. Yeah, there's some new there's some new tests that have come out. Um, the, there's a thing called a NIPS or a non-invasive um, pump. Some people, some people call it uh, Harmony because that's the original yes, brand yes, that came out. Yes. But there's now a Melbourne brand called Percept, um, and it, it, what it means is someone in the US, United States some years ago found that after ten weeks you could take a blood from the mother and the baby's blood has gone into the mother's blood and they can actually, from a simple blood test from the mother, look at the baby's um, blood mm. and at a 99.7% accuracy tell you if the baby's high or low risk of Downs. Also, it can tell the sex of the baby. Not in, It's not 100% correct, is it, Sue? No, it's not 100%. Um, you'd have to confirm it at an ultrasound at 20 That's weeks. That's right. Also, if you're having twins, um, what happens if you have the, the NIPS test or the Harmony test, they can... They count can them tell, together. Yeah, and they, they, they also can tell one sex, not they yeah. can't tell the so, both. Yeah. See, what they do is they say the presence or absence of a Y chromosome, That's which right. will say one or more of these babies is a boy. Yep, yep. So um, that is offered in um, public and private health? Uh, it's... It, when they first started, it was something like thirteen hundred and fifty dollars. It took and about ten days or three had to, years you had to, to come back, fly yes, it to, to America, America and back. Yep. Now it's it's available at the Children's Hospital, and it's about. 800 is it? No, it's it's about 400 and between 400 and 450 dollars. Um, and you can get their answer in three to five working days. I sound like I'm doing an ad. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any risks involved to your pregnancy if you get these tests? Obviously, well, that um, test is just a blood test, that's just a blood test on the mother. A risk to your wallet, yes. Um, (laughs) the problem, the problem, there's another test that's come out recently, which is a test to see if you're at high risk of things like preeclampsia in later pregnancy, and that's part of the original t- blood tested. Right. And that you do it eight weeks. That you, no, that you do it at 11 weeks oh, 11 now. 11 weeks, okay. They've changed yep. the date to 11 Can weeks. So so 11 weeks and 13-week ultrasound. Explain what that is, pre- preeclampsia. Mm. A cl- a preeclampsia is a condition of pregnancy that seems to arise late in pregnancy. We don't fully understand why it happens, um, but it's 
uh, displayed by a woman's blood pressure going up and their the kidneys become leaky and so they leak protein out of their kidneys. Um, the baby can be compromised in that the placenta doesn't work so well and so it's smaller than it should be. Um, and the ba- mother can be quite unwell and tell you she's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, and the worst... The youngest I've ever seen anyone with it was a uh, uh, 24 weeks, but most of them are 28 to 32 weeks. So there's this blood test that will tell you if you're at high risk mm. and you just fix that by starting else, um, aspirin and calcium if your calcium intake isn't good enough. Mm. Okay. And and some women get very, very sick with, mm. with preeclampsia. And years ago, centuries ago, obviously women and babies didn't make it through um, preeclampsia Absolutely. and they because they had eclampsia. So. Downton's a- Downton Abbey, yes. the end of the first season. Somebody died of eclampsia. Edith. Was it Edith? No, not Edith, the other one. Everyone's screaming her name. But I'm sitting there going, she's got preeclampsia. And, and you know, the pre- the, 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 and Lockie's well, going... Well, what telltale signs? Are uh, they puff up? Get really puffy. Um, but you see, we, nowadays we can tell because we we can we take people's mm, blood pressure puffy. regularly, and we dip we can dip with a little dipstick to see if they've got protein in their pee. We can do blood tests. There's a whole lot of really interesting research about the sort of blood tests that they can do to predict preeclampsia now. Mm. Uh, and uh, the treatment is get rid of the placenta, which means deliver the baby. Wow! So, so you need to you need to balance out the mother's health and the baby's health. So so all this balance is like this all through pregnancy. So if a woman is unwell with preeclampsia, even if the mother's 24, 25 weeks, to get her well is to get the baby out. Yes. Is to deliver the baby. So that's why some of the um, the um, intensive care um, areas are full of little babies. It's not because of premature labour. Often it's because the doctor has made a decision to help the mother get well again is to deliver the baby. Or that or the, the placenta is so compromised the babies mm. stop growing. Okay, Sue, so why do some women come into... Premature labour. Well, actually, why do women come into labour? Um, we think there's something in the baby's brain that tells them it's ready. Mm. Um, we don't exactly know what it is yet, but it's something in the baby's it's brain. Secret. It's a secret. <laughs> uh, I, my, I, my take on that is that I think there's something in the mother's brain that can say not yet. Yes. Um, and so I think that's why so many women go into labour between sunrise, so, so, sorry, sunset, and, sunset yep. and sunrise. Um, and I think it's because they're in a safe place, they're at home, they're with their partner. and In a deep they, sleep. In a deep sleep. They can't get much safer. Is that and real? Also, the timing, sunset, sunrise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 90%. And also yep. people pass 90, away at more. that time too, don't they? Mm, sunset, yep. sunrise, yeah. Yep. The other thing is when women are going to be induced the next morning, so many women come into labour, that's where I think women have got oh, to yeah. organise. They're going like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I, back to um, yes, why and, women come into labour. Yeah, and I think it's also when they have finished something, you know, they've finished work, they've had their baby shower, they've the mothers Shave arrived legs, from interstate. No, there's so many women, the waxing didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. But it's more things like the, um, you know, that someone's arrived from overseas, yeah. someone can look after the older, older children yeah. and then they can relax and then off they go. Yeah, it really does happen yeah. like that, Brooke. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing how how once you get your house in in order, so to speak, and I don't mean your physical house, but everything in your in your Emotions. mind, mm. um, women tend to come in labour. Women are very clever. Some yep. women don't come into labour. You know, yes. <laughs> did somebody <laughs> that just put was up me. their hand? That yeah. was me. <laughs> <Somebody> <laughs> was like, yep. No, I would still be pregnant if you know I wasn't induced. There, it was just no way I was coming into labour. Well, you've got to chill that baby. What do you? That's expect? right. I know. He's a little darling. So it's something to do about Hello, the brain. Lock. The brain's talking. But something the brain. The brain's talking. <laughs> Maybe my brain. 
that's the problem. <laughs> so I think it's me? a feedback. No, I think it's a feedback mechanism and somewhere along the line the feedback mechanism has to work and then it happens. Yep. And then women go overdue, obviously, and we were just talking off air before that, um, uh, you know, the longer women go in pregnancy... Things happen and they're never good, are they, Sue? No, no. And, so and the explain what you were saying because it's actually a really, really great way that you explained it the, to me. About the, well, I think the baby gets bigger um, and the bigger the baby, the harder it is to deliver. Um, there, is, there was a study that found that if you, the closer to 40 weeks you're induced, the more likely you are to have a successful vaginal delivery. And it makes common sense with a 34-week induction, but you'd think that doesn't seem right with a 42-week induction. Um, and I think it's because the baby gets bigger and I think sometimes, especially with first-time babies, the, the mother's body is waiting for instructions from somewhere and doesn't quite know what to do and you need a bit of a prod and then it, off they go. Um, you don't want to, babies to go too far overdue. No, you don't. And also... Induction does not mean that you're going to end up with a cesarean section. No, you're less it does likely. Not, yeah. It does not mean that the labour is going to be longer. It does not mean that it's going to hurt more. It just it just means that we're going to kickstart the body into labour. Yeah, and you can kickstart it many ways. Yeah. Um, you can you can put gel, you know, like a prostaglandin gel in and then just leave the body to, to kind of do, do its thing. Um, you can break waters. You can do stretch and sweeps. There's lots of ways that you can try to provoke the baby, the mother into going to labour. Stretch and, stretch and sweep. Yeah. <laughs> I knew. I knew it. I was waiting for you. You two are like short. You're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, oh, and, and, and stretch and I feel like I'm going to boot camp. Okay. <laughs> uh, I saw my set of stretch and scratch last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a scratch and smell, was it? <laughs> no, that's what I was thinking. Uh, the, stretch, the stretch and sweep, what it does is there's natural prostin. There's like a process that happens when, when women go into labour and it's, it's one like of the first things. Yeah, and one of the first things is that there's a hormone that softens the cervix. So that, imagine the cervix is like, feels like your nose and as the cervix softens... Everyone's it feeling like, nose. I know. Yeah, it feels like your, your lips. Mm-hmm. So it changes the, from being rock hard to being quite soft and a little bit floppy. And you need one one uh, form of uh, hormone for that. And what we you can do is um, the an appropriately experienced trained person can do an internal examination and insert a gloved finger through the cervix and rotate the finger in a in a kind of a whichever clockwise, what, clockwise position yep. um, and what and try to st- strip the membrane from the cervix and to try to dilate the cervix by Stimulation. Um, stimulating it, thank you, yeah. um, so that the cervix will release some of the natural prostin that that softens the cervix. And sometimes, especially with women who've had babies before, it can put them into labour that night. Yeah, um, and. It doesn't tickle. Believe me, it doesn't tickle. No. But if it's done as gently as possible, it's it's bearable. Um, but, you know, you don't want it to be done too frequently or someone with, yeah, to be it's rough. Be- but it, It's it, better to be done when, you, when you've had a baby before exactly. because it works much better. I wouldn't yep. do it with first-time mums. Yep. And the, the study found if you did it every day for three or four days in a row, women are much more likely to go into labour spontaneously. Yep. And women have lots of reasons for why they need to get their second and third babies out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Organising their first child. Yeah. Yep. Child care is really important. Really important. important. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going to get someone to look after a two-year-old at a three two in the morning? morning. <laughs> I no. suppose you're both being very practical. I don't, you suppose you don't think about this mm. stuff. Yeah. 
So yeah. where do you get somebody to look after children? Well, <laughs> you, have, you have very long-suffering family and friends on standby with uh, packed suitcases near the front door. So you could start a new little side business, you know, the, the babysitting <laughs> not, while, not. while you deliver. Uh, don't, no, 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 no. Don't think you'd, there'd be huge demand for it. No, not in my house. Um, also, um, you know, there are some women who are really opposed to being induced and... Yes. Um, when you get to about 10 weeks, 10 days, or oh, 10 weeks over, 10 days over, sometimes you have to work very hard to convince women that it, it, yeah, it acts, it's idea. actually the, the health of, of the mother and the baby to do this. Well, there's, there's um, babies are more likely to poo or have past meconium inside the, um, inside the uterus when they're overdue. And you don't want the babies to breathe that in because it can sometimes um, make the lungs quite unwell. Um, and there's this tiny minuscule risk of sudden unexplained stillbirth that happens all the way through pregnancy, but after you go overdue, it starts to go up. And after all the effort and hard work and angst to get to that point, you just don't want to risk your baby. No. Why is there so much resistance, Sue and Kath? Like, what, what, what are the problems of... Remember, we've understand. talked about the fantasy and reality. Oh, the they fantasy want to have is the to birth. come into natural childbirth, come into spontaneous... So that you'll break your waters and have to, sh- have to um, clean the carpet and shampoo the mattress. Oh, yeah. for the <laughs> <laughs> that that you'll that you ruin the with the Lycor in the in the leather car seat on the way into hospital. That and you'll have to get never re- get in the car seat again. Car seat. And, and that you're in lab, active labour and the car's going down the, you're going the street. Going up Hunt Road, bumper. screaming your guts out. Okay, yeah. all right. All right. <laughs> I, I get it, girls. I get it. One no, more I, thing I want to talk to you about, Sue, is gestational diabetes in mm-hmm. pregnancy. And I know you're particularly interested in this um, mm-hmm. um, topic. Uh, and back in the Mercy, back at the Mercy Hospital many years ago, um, every woman in the 70s, every woman was um, tested for diabetes and had a GTT, which was well ahead of their time in those days. Um, so it happens just, now. It's yeah, it does now. It's just it's just normal. But yeah. but in the seventies, it was it, it mm. was seen as a bit yeah. Yep. Um, it's it's an interesting thing because what they found was that there are women who are prone to getting type two diabetes when they get older, and there uh, are women who behave like they've got type two diabetes during pregnancy. And if they behave like they have type two diabetes, they don't manage the sugar that they they take in very well. So they walk around with a, a higher sh- blood sugar level and so what they're doing to their babies is here, here darling I love you eat this and have yep. some dessert with that and so you end up with bigger babies that with all the complications that arises and they found that by testing everyone for diabetes in pregnancy and at 28 treat, weeks. 20, 26 to 28, 28 weeks. weeks yeah. And if they do have that, um, by um, educating them into how to eat wisely, that they, it reduces the sugar that they give to their baby. So their babies are much healthier. What's so the risk if, if your baby has too much sugar? It grows big, yeah. um, which inc- implies things like difficult to deliver, more likely to have a caesarean section. Um, they, have, they can be born with blood sugars that uh, are low. They're used to getting a whole lot of sugar through mm. their pregnancy. Mm. And after the baby comes out, it's sitting there going, well, I'm ready for my no, extra, extra no, desserts. <laughs> um, and they don't cope very well. So they can get a hypoglycemia, which very means quickly. a low blood sugar, and they need to have complementary feeds until it, they realise there's no such thing as a free lunch anymore. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not permanent? It doesn't, no, it's temporary. It's temporary. temporary. There, there is a little bit of um, debate about the 
safety of women with diabetes in pregnancy and is is someone who has gestational diabetes, is that child more likely to be obese in the teenage, early adult years? Are we setting their insulin resistance during pregnancy? Are they more likely to get type 2 diabetes as they get older? Do so we have a, science around that? We there, have, is, there is science around that at the moment. They're, I would say watch this space. Mm. It's early days. Mm. One thing that uh, I talk to mums about, if, if you keep your body well, that is, if your blood sugars are uh, uh, in, under control and stable, you're keeping your baby well. Yes. And that's a reflection of how your baby is. So it's about not, not thinking, oh, look, I've been a little bit high for a couple of days. You, you don't want that. You want to, to keep within the normal limits that the dietitian or the um, diabetic educator has told you to, to keep um, within... Uh, and for some women, they actually need even need to go on insulin, don't yes. they, Sue? Yes, yeah, insulin. Uh, they, what that does is that, especially at night, you give them a, a, an injection of a thing called protophane and it drops the blood sugar overnight, which means that that sort of sleeping period of about eight hours, their blood sugars are balanced and low and the, it helps the baby to be able to manage their own blood sugars and not get as big as you would get normally. Should this be something you should worry about before that 28-week test? If your mother or or your parents or your grandparents had type 2 diabetes, then I would say you you are at risk. Mm. And the best way to deal with that would be to have a be a healthy weight, um, eat a healthy diet and exercise and the exercise I think they took a minimum of two and a half hours a week uh, the uh, eat the f- sort of food that a person who has diabetes would have which is very generally low carbs mm. uh, and that will give your baby the best shot It'll give you the best chance of not having diabetes and the baby the best chance of being a healthy baby so why are we finding um, a lot of women from um, Africa Asia um, India with a high incidence of um, gestational diabetes, because it's in their um, it's in the genetic makeup that they they're designed to have a that their traditional diets. They don't have a traditional diet. They have a very anglicised diet here, which is very high in simple carbs uh, and very high in proportion of carbs to the rest of their their diet. Uh, they're heavier, uh, and as a result of being heavier, the babies are bigger. Right. It's it's a whole yeah it's 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 a whole consequence new, yeah whole new consequence. Um, some women are just and I'm sure some people are sitting listening to this podcast and they're just over pregnancy and it can get to a be from about 36 weeks when they're sore their joints are sore their yes. their back sore and um, so what do you how do you sort of because you don't want to induce someone for just because they're feeling over it, over it be, well, even everyone's though, over it well, you're over it. <laughs> How long have you been doing this for? <laughs> no, I don't mean me. I'm not over it. Oh, no. I love it. But the, the most, um, most women, they get tired, especially when you've had a baby before mm. because their joints are sore. They have what I call a pre-loved uterus. Mm. Um, their bodies are achy. Uh, they're not sleeping well. You know, if we can just get this baby out, things will be better. But in reality, you, the, it would be nice if the baby came at its own pace, if yeah. you can. So you really have to love people through, women through these last few weeks and... And uh, a lot of TLC and mm. and and also, as Sue was saying, if they've had um, a baby before and you've got a toddler running around, it's really full it's on. Work. It's full on work. And um, just bending down, lifting up a toddler, put, getting, getting them in and out of the cot, yep. um, all of those things, it, it's hard work. And then, then going into bed and 
the, the, the baby in utero banging on the uterus going, go to the toilet, go to the toilet, <laughs> go to the toilet. So you're up and down having a wee all night. This yeah. is the most and incredible conversation for <laughs> contraception I've ever had. <laughs> and the, ho- the hormones that keep you pregnant soften the ligaments that join bone to bone. So mm. your pelvis becomes unstable because it has to grow a little bit to fit the baby's head. How unstable? Like, um, <laughs> it can be different for different women. Uh, you can feel like your hips are going to dislocate. You can feel sore, um, sore back, lower back. You can get sore at the front, which is, I think, so. Um, like a, osteitis pubis, like which is common. Have, yeah, for, yep. yeah, sportsman's groin, yep. I call it. Yep. Um, and nice football. Nice football. Yep. And it's the the purpose of it is to make space for the baby's head to come through. So as as you, your early point, Kath and Sue, is that you know have the baby on time, and if it's overdue, all these things are exacerbated yes. in like uh, yes, good okay. <laughs> Brooks now never having a child. But you know what? You look at a baby and you go, "I'll do it all over again." Oh, you do. How many yeah. babies have you delivered? Uh, I would think about four and a bit thousand. Amazing. Yeah. And they just smell so beautiful and they're so gorgeous, aren't Aww. they? They're just, the way They've they just... look around like little kind of oh. out-of-focus baby yeah, pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're just gorgeous. And it's so worth it. I, so many women, you know, they can be, you know, obviously in a lot of pain just before they have the baby and pushing the baby. As soon as the baby comes out, they're like... <gasps> the pain goes. The pain goes. It's like, I could do that all over again. I'm thinking, I was in a headlock five minutes ago. <laughs> I got kicked off the bed about five minutes ago. You are biting my fingers and now I only have three left. Um, So it's, you know, it it does go so quickly. And and that love of, you know, seeing your baby, it's beautiful. Um, so, Kath was talking on previous episodes, or we were talking on previous episodes about that idea of um, not the perfect birth, that people have these preconceived notions and yes. then they feel very guilty Yes, because because you do what you do. Is that a common experience yes. that Absolutely. we just need to talk about and get over? Yeah, I, I think that, that there's this myth on the, you know, if you follow the internet, there's a birth plan. You can download your own birth plan. Um, and I only realised a few months ago that, in fact, birth plans are designed by people who've never actually had babies. Mm. because I've never actually had a woman who's pregnant for the second time who's come in with a birth plan <laughs> because they laugh when I talk about it because they I've say, never seen a birth plan past uh, about five centimetres. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had one. One who had a birth plan and got exactly what she hoped I for. I had one lamina, ilam, laminated so I can go in the shower. <laughs> so, beat that. <laughs> uh, uh, I've had three or four pages. Oh, yeah, I know. And, it's, and it's, it's ridiculous. Some Many, many years ago, I had a patient who came in with a birth plan and I went through it with her so, to make sure that we were. I was going to yeah. be able to help get her as much as she could. Singing in, yeah? Um, no, one of them was, and I do not want my cervix manipulated. Oh, and, dear. And I actually looked at it and thought, this is really embarrassing. I don't know what that means. Yes. How am I going <laughs> to manipulate your cervix? Anyway? So, so cervix with a her, smile? Um, so could you please tell me what that means? Yes. And she looked at me and said, there's a dead silence. She said, I don't know. Yeah, God I said, her. well, look, let's just agree that whatever it is, we're, we're not going to do, do it. <laughs> That's right. Can, can I just ask, what, what are you talking about birth plans? So... Um, it, it, again, it's a very, it was a very 70s thing um, that women decided that they're going to Plans. get off the bed and they're going to then come become in, in, in control of their own birth. Mm-hmm. So they're actually going to plan what they want. And that is no vaginal examinations. They want to stand up. They, they don't want drugs. They don't want this. They don't want anyone to look sideways at them. They want Enya singing. They want... This is wow, the idea. Music. That the was I- the, ideal. the idea. So you actually yeah. write down what you want. Yeah. Now, as we, you know, it, it, 
it's it's fine for people to write it down. I think it's really good because you can go through it, like Sue was saying, and you can say, look, actually, that's not going to work. I read one that said, I'm never going to, I don't want to be laying down to have an examination. Well, there's no other way to really do it. So to to go through labour and to have, to be looked after properly, there are some things that the obstetrician has to do. Um, it's it, it's good to do just to have a guide, but it also at some level might set women up to fail because yeah, they absolutely. think because they think that this is what I'm going to have and this therefore, is what's going to happen. Therefore, it will happen. It, I have planned it. Therefore, yeah. it will happen. It's not like a holiday. It's like planning a planning, you know, planning a marriage, and you you plan in, in enormous detail the flowers, the the church, the whole the whole process, and no one ever talks about actually getting married. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing to me. People, people worry about how it's going to happen. And I had this very smart woman say to me once, "Look, I've made the baby. I'm growing the baby. I'm delegating how you're going to get the baby out to mm. you when I get to the hospital. This is your job. Mm. You work it out. That's what you're paying and, for. And when yeah. I get and when the baby is out, you can hand the baby to me, and I'll take over yeah, its care. That's right. What a great, what a fantastic. So you, if people had that in their mind, they should just call it like a birth wish list. Yes, that's a what wish, I usually say is a, a wish, wish list. list. Yeah. So how do you? hope it will happen mm. um, and then we what, take what it I start there. to do uh, starting to do now are actual feeding plans because it's when you're feeding a baby and when you've got a baby at home sorry going back a step in the hospital you're surrounded by professionals you know you're there midwives are there doctors everyone's there to help you through your birth wish or birth plan when you're feeding a baby at home you you don't know what you don't know so you, you think if it's crying if it's doing this what should i do so sitting down with people before they have a baby and actually writing out a birth of a feeding plan and talking through what would happen if I have a, um, a premature baby? What would happen if I have a, uh, if I have gestational diabetes? What happens if I have a very big baby that needs a lot of feeding? What if I have a very little baby that needs a lot of feeding? So that's my expertise that I can go through and mm. explain and help women and their partners understand what happens after... After they leave the, the hospital. Because they, when they're all on lot, their own. There's not a lot mm. of... Lot, going on about that, is and there? So and there's a lot of contradictory information too. Yeah, don't start that. What, oh, <laughs> what I, we're here for another three yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. What I end up saying to people is you're going to get 15 or different, 16 different versions of how to feed your baby, which really day. means... Yes. Yeah, in one day. <laughs> um, which means that none of them are right. That's right. So the best thing is probably to sit there and say, well, look, that's very good. I'll try that if what I'm doing doesn't work because your baby is different. You are different. The way your milk comes in will be different. The way the shape of the baby's mouth will be different. Everyone's got different nipples. Absolutely. And also put yourself in, you know, just if you do it yourself and wrap the baby up and pe- keep the baby close, the baby knows what to do. Most you know, of the, the time. There's some dopey the ones. Hmm? There's some dopey ones. Yeah. They need are a they- bit of extra help. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. No, they are. Yeah. They, they, the really smart ones, the people talk about nipple confusion. And I sit there and say the really smart babies, if, if you have to top them up, um, sometimes if their blood sugars are low, um, they'll sit there and very smartly go, hang on a minute, the, the bottle's so much quicker than the boob. I'll go the bottle. Yeah. Um, and then so you have to almost confuse them again by giving them syringes or cups or teaspoons or mm. so you don't you know you unconfuse the nipple <laughs> but they, they they know what to do yeah they they, they 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 just you just got to feed your baby but that's a whole yeah. nother story another story another. Another. Sue, that mm. has been just fantastic thanks so much <laughs> and pleasure. it's um it's crazy that this is the only way we've caught up lovely to see you soon all all right, education thank you. midwife Kath, thank you thanks brooke
This has been Birth, Baby and Beyond with midwife Kath Curtin. Birth, Baby and Beyond is recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne, Australia. Executive producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and music by Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. A Podcast One production.